What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, I had a really fun time with this conversation. I had Kimberly Snyder on the show, and she is the author of the book, You Are More Than You Think You Are. It's her newest book. Uh, You Are More Than You Think You Are. And it was a really powerful conversation. And if you want to hear me go through a deep breathing exercise on the show, then you have to listen to the full episode because you know I tell you guys that breath work is important. I tell you to create that space before you make decisions to take some deep breaths as a great way to bring yourself back into conscious choice. And Kimberly just like took it to the next level and had me doing some breath work that really just made me feel like 10 pounds lighter and like all the stress just was removed from my life. So you're going to want to pay attention and pick up a copy of her book. It's called You Are More Than You Think You Are. It's available wherever books are sold. And if you enjoy this conversation, I would love it if you could let both of us know about it. So the best way to do that is by taking a screenshot of the episode and then posting it to your stories on Instagram. Um, you can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Kimberly at underscore Kimberly Snyder. With that said, enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I am joined by a very special guest. I have Kimberly Snyder with me today, um, author of the book, You Are More Than You Think You Are, which I love the title, first of all. And thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Excited to chat. Yeah, I know. I've been excited for this conversation. Um, we got connected through a, a mutual friend, Chase Tuning. So um, always, always great to connect with uh, people, especially somebody like Chase, who I have a lot of respect for. And I've been looking forward to the conversation because it seems like a lot of what you talk about in your book and just everything, um, your whole, you know, your beliefs and everything that you stand for is very much in alignment with what I talk about on the show and the power of mindset and the power of just believing that you're more than you think you are. So I'd love to start at the beginning of like, what was the inspiration for writing the book? Oh, well, <laughs> this is um, this is a really interesting book. This is really different, Mike, than my other ones. So this is my sixth book. And I'll tell you the, the uh, uh, like a short version and then another short version, because there's two parts to this question. The first one is it came down. The idea came down when I was 34 weeks pregnant with my second son, which was not the ideal time to write a book, but it just, you know, you have these moments where divine inspiration comes in. I call it a download where you just feel pulled in a certain direction. So then I was like, oh man, I'm trying to slow down. And then I didn't know what to do. So then I reached out to Deepak Chopra, who was my co-author two books ago. And I said, Deepak, I told him his my idea. And then he said, oh, this book will Belongs with Hay House, which was a different publisher than my previous two. And so next thing I know, he I'm on an email with them. And then the president said, well, what's your book idea? And I told him. And then I think two days later, I presented it on Zoom. I wrote a sample chapter. And then three days before I, get, I gave birth, I uh, signed my book deal. And then I waited 60 days post-birth. And then I started writing. So this, my, this one, Mike, was like, whoosh, 
But I will say as a, as you know, the second part of the question, the second answer is that, you know, the way I started my journey was um, 10 years ago was when my first book came out now. So it's been 10 books in six, oh, six, sorry, six books in 10 years. And I wrote that book at a time when I had just gotten back from backpacking around the world. So I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Like a lot of us, I went into college with a partial science scholarship. I thought I might be a doctor. I interned in a hospital one summer and realized it wasn't for me. So then I, I was, um, you know, I can use this term now. I didn't use it back then, but I was a seeker. I wanted to, you know, I was seeking something and I didn't know what it was. But, you know, first of all, I was very uncomfortable in my body. I was very bloated. I didn't know how to eat right. I had a lot of acne, a lot of indigestion, a lot of constipation, and then a lot of anxiety. I was up at insomnia. I was up at night. I was just, you know, just a mess. And so I didn't know what to do, but I saved some money. And so I started off what I thought was going to be a couple of weeks. It ended up being three years, 50 countries around the world. And when I came back, you know, I had a very different perspective of health, of nutrition, of energy, of spirituality, of all these things. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I landed in New York City. And you and I talked about you're on the East Coast, too. And, um, you know, I was starting to apply these teachings that I had learned in India, which we'll talk about more in a minute, but it was the country that had the biggest impact on me. And the first time I went, it was about three months. And then I circled around. I was there for another extended period, but I was learning about yoga and meditation and ways to work with energy in a very different way than I had ever learned. So I was starting to apply these teachings and I started to see these patterns emerging in my life. And it was like I stepped, Mike, into this, into this flow and this whole arduous way of going about things. And you know, I used to be an overachiever. I am to an extent, but it's managed better, a perfectionist. It was so different. Um, I started a free blog. I was going back and I was teaching yoga. And then I was going back to nutrition school. And so I, this blog was about my travels, about my passions. It was about food. It was all these things. So anyways, long story short, things really started to grow organically. Um, I didn't know anything about SEO or marketing back then, but uh, you know, all I did was tell my yoga students about my website and it started to grow throughout New York City. And then my first celebrity found me and then I got on a film set. And to this day, I don't own a TV. So I was definitely not trying to get into that world. And then I, next five years, it was just this flow. I got swept up into working with you know the biggest celebrities in the world. I was traveling around the world with them on set, living with them, pressed tours in Europe all around. <laughs> and then I got on Good Morning America and I was this regular guest there. And the reason I tell you the story, this is the end here. It's a really funny ending. I got my first book deal, right? So HarperCollins, Sarah was my publicist. And I wrote a manuscript called Catching the Fire. And in it was a lot of the teachings that are in this book. And it was a travel memoir. And she looked at my site and she said, oh, she's like, it's like the, the food and the recipe part is taking off. So why don't you do the food book first and we'll do that book second? Well, the first book was called The Beauty Detox Solution. It was a digestion focused book. It you know just grew and grew, sold like a million copies. So then the second book, they wanted to do a food book. But then, Mike, it started going back to these roots. Third book was um, called Beauty Detox Powers about chakras and energy. Fourth book was with Deepak, which was definitely spiritual. But are you Fifth book was a hybrid of like mind body. And now this is the sixth book. This is my full playbook. So it's a very long answer, but this book has been building in me for years. And now 10 years later, I'm in a, you know, just a much more gritty, raw place. I've been through a lot in the last 10 years. 
So I think it's, you know, now is the time for the book. <laughs> That's amazing. Such a powerful story and an incredible journey that you've been on. I think that being able to travel the world like you did and have like the the impact, have those experiences. I think that, you know, fortunately I, I've been able to travel a decent amount and I always, anytime I'm in another culture, I experience, you know, different communities, different foods, whatever it is with that culture, it always kind of unlocks something in my life that I didn't know was missing a different perspective. I'm able to see things through a different lens. And, and I'm curious because I fell into the trap very early when I was on my fitness journey of chasing kind of arbitrary numbers, right? It was mm. very much about like the physical appearance. It was what, what does the scale say? And I always felt empty as a result of that. And I think that it, it ties in with what you talk about with like finding your true self and yeah. through your journey, you obviously had to come back to, you know, what, what is your purpose? And when you talk about true self, can you help like define yes. that? How do we yes. unpack that? Because, you know, a lot of times I think, especially with my audience, I know a lot of uh, people get caught in the same trap that I was in where we want to eat well, we want to be healthy, want to be fit, but we sometimes are disconnected in, in the why, what are we doing this for? What's, what's the purpose or the meaning behind all of these actions that we're trying to take? So can you help like unpack yes. a little bit? So this is a big one. So this is something I didn't really understand until I started going into these um, teachings and um, you know all the this ancient philosophy, which is really from the oldest texts in the world. They're from the Vedic texts, which come from India. And so what we learn from this ancient science is that there is the ego part of us, and then there's the true self part of us. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in, most everybody today. Um, identifies with just the ego, right? So this is the part that what Wayne Dyer calls the less than 2% of who we are. It is the shell. It is this outer part. It's what we look like physically. It's what we're doing out here. So it's everything that is sensed by the peripheral nervous system. So the five senses, you know, what we're seeing with our physical eyes, you know, smelling, tasting, it's just sensing this external world. And really, that is a tiny part of who we are. And unfortunately, when we're suffering, when we're caught up in fear, when we're caught up in comparing ourselves to other people or obsessing about numbers, what's on the scale? How many calories did I eat today? Oh, maybe I'm not where I am financially or in my goals at this age. Whatever that is, that is the voice of the ego. That's the mind chatter of the ego. So the exciting thing is that inside all of us, every single one of us, everybody listening to this right now, there is is this inner resource. There is this part of us that is often dormant because we tend to, again, identify, put our self-worth in this primal fear, which makes us attached to what we can see and hold, right? So it's this egoic part of us. But this inner resource is called the true self. And this is the part of us that is expansive, stable, courageous, loving, infinitely creative, infinitely intelligent. And this, Mike, cannot be quantified by numbers. This is what quantum physics would call the gravi you know, gravitational field. We can say it's your unique energetic blueprint. You know, In spiritual terms, we can say it's spirit individualized, the universe inside of you, God inside of you, what, soul, whatever word you want to use. We can all agree that there's this part of us that can watch our thoughts, right? So there's this part of us that's beyond constructs, like the physicality and, and the mind and the thoughts. So that is the part of us that we can learn through these very specific practices and techniques to harness and to connect to. This is the part of us, Mike, that 
woof, when we tap into this, this is where we create our best stuff. You know, the longest chapter in the book is called You Are a Creator. So it's the very specific ways in which we take this unique energy inside of us and we start to channel it into form, whether it's a business idea, a website, product, recipe, whatever it is. And so this was the game changer for me. And when I worked with clients, you know, on paper, the studios would always say, oh, you know, label me as a nutritionist. But I always said, like, that was like 15% of what I was doing, really. It was this whole expansive lifestyle. My cornerstones are food, body, emotional well-being, and spiritual growth. So when we're talking about spiritual growth here, connecting to the true self, it's not religion. It's not dogma. It's really about awareness, and just greater um, awakening to this potential inside of us. So when we start to identify more with this, woof, this eternal, you know, this eternal, expansive, infinite energy in us, every single part of our life will change. For me, that became the point, and it deepens. So it's not like a button we press, right? So we deepen into the practice more and more and more. But that was the part of my life where I stopped obsessing about numbers, right? So there's a part in the book where I talked about where I talk about this. You know, I, I started going beyond weighing myself every day and, and obsessing about you know percentages and calories. I was a big dieter. Stopped obsessing about all the numbers in my life, and then it was like this opening this floodgate of energy. So the ironic thing is we think that we're going to, you know, get better results when we focus and we do more and do more, but actually the solution to the problem isn't found where the problem is. It's going in a different way. So when I started to tap into this part of me, everything opened up and my digestion opened up. I never dieted again. My, everything about food became so much easier. I built my business you know, I created you know, three of my books became New York Times bestsellers. I built an incredible team, was able to create this incredible family and my soulmate. All this stuff just started to open up. So I'm really passionate about sharing this, Mike, because I look around the world today and I think, oh shit, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of confusion. There's more like doing, doing, doing. I'm not getting what I want. So it's like hammering, hammering, hammering. And oh my gosh, there's this other way. And I want to share this other way, this, this way of flow. Yeah. And, and I love that you describe it that way, when, especially as you talk about, we believe that more is better. And it's like, if I just push harder, if I just do more, then that's the answer. And oftentimes it's kind of, you know, diametrically opposed to what we actually want. Like the thing that we're doing, focusing more on the scale, more on calories, it's creating this obsession. It's creating yeah. more stress. And I think when you, when you talk about that difference between the ego and the true self, Really, what I think about is with with the ego, we often keep pursuing more and it's never enough because it's kind of empty. Exactly. Until we reframe that, the way that I like to look at it is, am I moving closer? Not am I doing more, but am I moving closer to what I truly desire to my, what you would say, your true self? And and, and as you're explaining that, do you have ways that we- Yes. Happen? I was going to say- yeah, I'm so excited when you said that. I, you know, one particular practice just just came straight to mind for me. But I want to say real quick, Mike, when you're saying, you know, it's like that pushing. Remember, I said the four cornerstones: food. So body is everything besides food, basically how we exercise, how we sleep, our supplements, so on and so forth. Emotional well-being, mental health, and spiritual growth. So what I have always found with clients and readers and everyone is that if you're not getting the results that you want in one cornerstone, let's say it's the food, right? And you're like, oh, maybe it's the riboflavin. Maybe I'm not getting enough omega fats. Maybe there's hidden sugars. Like there's more, like you keep looking. I can almost guarantee 
that if you move away from that cornerstone that you are struggling with, it is the other cornerstones that you need to nurture. And when you do that, you get better results here. So what I mean by that is for most people, it's the emotional well-being cornerstone. And I don't mean to, to pick on men, but especially with all my, and I did work with mostly men in the beginning, right? Big dudes, Channing Tatum, Chris Hemsworth, you know, really big guys. Um, so anyways, just as an aside, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I work with a lot of men and women. So I won't go down that tangent, but I want to say that when food or your body isn't looking the way you want it to look, instead of obsessing, again, go wider. What am I not metabolizing from a feeling and emotional perspective? We need to metabolize feelings, for instance. Emotions are energy in motion. And there's, a, you know, there's so much supportive science in this book as well. There's a real physiology. When we push down feelings and emotions, it actually um, uh, imbalances our hormones it imbalances our nervous system. It puts us in fight or flight. We're secreting cortisol. Blood flow leaves our GI tract. It goes to other parts, right? So there is a real physicality to all of this. And so when we instead learn to process, to respond more than react, when we learn to tune in at the beginning of the day, we honor meditating, even if it's five minutes or seven minutes, as much as we're making our protein shake, what we're doing is we're balancing out here, right? Food and body are very physical. We can see with the energy inside of us, emotions connecting to spirit. So now we become more balanced. Now we go into the day. If we've meditated with our breath more even, we're more in tune with when we're hungry, when we're not, we make better decisions. We're coming from a deeper place. So I just want to say that, yes, the reason that we're, if you're not getting the results that you're, that you're wanting, I can almost guarantee it's because you're not taking this holistic approach with all of the cornerstones. Now, very easy question you can ask yourself moment to moment. So when we're talking about all these practices, I don't want people to think too, Mike, oh my God, I should do this stuff all day. It's, you know, the, the subtitle of the book is Practical Enlightenment for Everyday Life. So it was important to me that this book is very practical, very prescriptive. But the word enlightenment is about awakening. It's about freedom, right? You're walking around feeling free and light in your body, in your day-to-day -day experience. So it's about getting on this path. Right. It's not about perfection. It's not trying to be enlightened, like fully enlightened, like Buddha or Jesus. Right. It's just about creating this pathway where we can be more discerning and more aware of ourselves. And so we open ourselves up more and more. So moment to moment. And again, it's five minutes. Some of the practices are 90 seconds. Some of it's 10 seconds, just this constant checking in where then it starts to become part of our lifestyle. But one of the things you were saying earlier about like, why am I doing this? The, the mind will give you a lot of stories, right? There's trauma. There's things that happened in our childhood. We don't really understand certain patterns of why we think certain things or we have a real aversion to people. But the one place that you can go to for real wisdom is your body. So your body can become this, this place of, of seeking deeper solutions and answers beyond the chatter of the mind. So when it comes to a decision you have to make, or let's say you're in a situation, what you want to do is get out of your head for a minute and you drop down into your body and specifically in your heart. And you ask yourself this question, am I in the true self or am I in ego? And if you're in true self, it's, it's like, it's easy to discern when you get into the body. True self, you're in a feel this expansion. Okay. Because anytime, you know, the universe is, is expanding, light expands, who we are, our true nature is meant to be expansive, inclusive, loving, compassionate, blissful, joyful, oneness, accepting, right? This is really who we are. And so you're going to feel this. If you're an ego, 
your body will not lie. You're going to feel tightness. You're going to feel constriction. Oh, I'm doing this for this. This isn't really aligned. I'm pushing myself. I'm going to the gym, even though I know I need to rest. Whatever it is, you're going to actually feel this tightness because the ego is tightness and constriction. So it becomes this you know, real um, place where you can go for the honest answer is into your heart. You close your eyes, you ask that question, and you, you can feel, am I going out in expansion or am I going in in constriction? So that's like a five-second practice you can, you can start to do right now. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love the, uh, the practical um, examples that you can start to implement right away. And which was actually my next question, because I think that sometimes there might be a little bit of resistance. You started to mention that maybe some of your male clients were, uh, you know, less receptive to some of the emotional work or, yes. you know, and, and they needed it the most. <laughs> like, they needed it the most. So for somebody that is a little bit more like, you know what, I, I get the food, I get the body, I, you know, all of that makes sense, but I don't know, like some of this sounds a little bit woo-woo and I'm as woo-woo as it gets, but I also know that there's a certain part that the perception is maybe that, you know, this isn't worth the time or I'm so busy. I don't have time for this. I'm just going to power through. How do you kind of get somebody over the hump of, you know, dealing with a little bit of resistance towards the emotional or spiritual side of this? The resistance part comes from the ego wanting to do what it's always done. And so I say again, if you want to get to that next level, if you really want to elevate your life, it is critical that you start going past your own limitations. It's us that limits ourselves. And so when it comes to this, you know, and this woo woo, there's so much science. To, to back up everything I'm saying now, and there's so much incredible science or, you know, around these teachings and, and in the book itself. And what I'll say as well is that, um, you know, the, the resistance comes, I think we, we, we close up from what we don't know or what we don't want to feel. And some, you know, one, one thing, and it, this, you know, this idea of the shadow work, which I think can also feel scary to people, is so powerful. If people could really see like a flash of the results they would get when they start to do this work and how this starts to open up the body, open up digestion, open up their life, then I think that people would really would really follow it and really run towards it. So what I do in the book is I, you know, I share a lot of stories of my life and other people like Dan Butner, who founded the Blue Zones and other good friends of mine who have been doing these practices and working with some of these techniques and what it's been able to do for them. You know, Dan is a um, Guinness Book world record holder. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a National Geographic fellow. Like all these incredible things um, have happened. And one thing that Yogananda uh, states, Paramahansa Yogananda is the great yoga guru who brought yoga um, from the East to the West. He says, that, um, you know, what's, what's really important to remember is that we are not here to acquire anything else. We're here to scrape off the mud. <laughs> the diamond's already there. So these practices are a different way of looking at everything that will profoundly change your whole life. It's more of a stripping away than the, the way that, you know, it is a lot in the world today and the biohacking, which is like, let me get more. Maybe it's this supplement I need, or maybe I need to do this mitochondria machine or all this, like adding on, adding on versus, oh, there's so much light and wisdom and intelligence and strength and vitality inside of me, but it's being covered over by all these, these blocks and all these different patterns. 
And then the next part too, Mike, is that this is experiential. So Yogananda was very clear when he said, you know, this isn't dogma. This isn't accept it blindly and believe what I'm saying, but really test it out for yourself. So as you start to do some of these practices, I would encourage you to tune into yourself and say, you know, is this, am I making progress? And the progress you would feel is not, again, quantifiable on a scale, but more, am I feeling expansive? Am I feeling more peaceful? Am I feeling more open? Is more opening up for me? And that's what happened to me. I was starting, like I said, patterns. And so it's this inner transformation that happens that really creates the outer results. So I was transforming inside and I was looking out and I was like, oh my God, my national television, working with these big celebrities, book deals are coming. Like, how did this happen? And I realized it was going through these um, practices. It was starting to really process this emotional part of me that was weighing me down. Everything is frequency. Everything is energy. You know, we think, oh, the food, I can see it. I can see the weight, you know, the, the treadmill or whatever it is. So we think that's all there is. Again, that's ego. That's physical eyes looking out with our peripheral nervous system. There is this deeper part of us, intuition, that senses energy. And so you show up, Mike, and I'm, you know, we're having this conversation right now, looking at each other. And part of it is the auditory words, the constructs that we're seeing in thoughts, but so much of what we discern and what we feel is energetic. It's below the surface. We don't really know how to, you know, quantify it or how to explain it. But, you know, this part about doing the work of connecting inside, meditating, you know, working with our emotions, we can't get past that part because that's part of our energy. So let's say you have the best diet and you have the best workout, but things aren't going to necessarily click. You're not going to feel the most energetic or the most vitality. You may not sleep well. You may not digest well. You may age faster because there's these other energies that you're not dealing with inside of you. And so everything does work holistically. And so we can't get around that. Yeah. And I know that resonates with me, especially because a lot of what we discuss with our clients is very non-traditional in the sense that you know sometimes they have these preconceived notions of, well, I'm hiring a nutrition coach. So aren't you just going to tell me to eat less and exercise more? And we're like, no, that's, that's not at all what we're going to talk about. And we, we have to get that level of trust to be like, look, we, yeah. we're going to have you do something different. And you're right. It's the experience. Like, let's just see for yourself. Yes. This makes when we can actually do something um, that's, that's different than all of the stuff you've tried. That's, that's led to the frustration and the fact that you're still struggling. You know, that there's more instinctually, you know, that there's more that you can accomplish but you haven't quite been able to unlock that yet. Um, I'm curious uh, your take on oh, like, sorry. Oh, my, oh, sorry. When you said that, I I, I really wanted to, to um, <laughs> I had this funda, this, this inspiration. I really wanted to say something, Mike, is that all the, all the ways in which, you know, you're describing clients and people saying those things. And I, I hear it in my head. It's, many people said that to me too. I, I need to look better. <clears throat> you know, it's almost this desperation. Like I, I want to, you know, get stronger. I want to have bigger muscles. Like I want this. I want, it's like this constant focus. And really underneath that is the deep, deep belief. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Right. And what is that? That is underneath that is the fear of not being lovable, of putting our identity in this 
you know, part of us, the ego, which is aging, which is changing, which is, you know, it's always, you know, looking out and comparing. So there's always going to be people that have bigger muscles. There's always going to be people that make more money or have bigger social media followings or whatever it is. So this not enoughness is chronic in our society and it leads to so much stress so much unhappiness, so much confusion. And so if you're having any of those feelings, you know for sure you are in the ego. And so it's that, first of all, that awareness. Oh, because <laughs> if we don't know, if we're not aware that there is this part of us that we can shift over to, it will never be healed. You will work out harder and harder the rest of your life. You will try to fine tune your diet so it's more and more perfect. You will never feel that peace and that bliss. And that is available to you. It just means that we need to put in other practices that balance this outer body food with the inner state. And it is that repeated frequency, that vibration, that energy that you open up inside of yourself, which comes up and out of you. It will change your voice. It will change your frequency. It will change your presence. When you are around people, they will feel that you are different. You will metabolize food differently. Your breath will change. You will um, oxygenate your body in a different way. You will age differently. Everything will transform from the inside out, but it has to come from that first awareness, ego or true self. Yeah. And as you're saying that, as you talk about the feeling of not enough, I'm wondering if, if you think there's any connection. This is just something I thought about with that feeling and the need to be perfect. Like I'm not enough. So I start looking for all these little details, like you said, fine tuning my diet to the nth degree and finding all these little things. And then you're trying to be so perfect with everything. You start looking for details that maybe don't even exist. And then that can lead to some level of spiral or self-sabotage because you're trying to uphold a standard that's literally impossible to uphold. I'm wondering if you feel there's any connection there. It was just something I thought of as you were explaining that. So perfectionism is the ultimate, you know, one of the ultimate attributes of being an ego. So what it means is we have put our identity in this, in the ego, in the shell. So that feeling, that restlessness, like eh, something's off, it means we are constantly trying to shine it up. You know, like let's get, you know, for women a lot, let's get more work done or let's work out more. Or like you said, all the details, the solution is not where the problem is. Like I'll say it a million times. You can shine up all you want. I've worked with some of the most beautiful, rich people in the world. It's never enough. You know, it will not give you what you think it will give you. So we go to a different place. We go inside instead of trying to shine up the outside. And that is where real change is to be had. This is a real truth. It's never going to come from shining the ego and shining this pretty stuff up. So perfectionism comes from a deep fear of not being lovable. It comes from a deep fear of fearing abandonment, lovability, not being good enough. And so it is always the solution to shift away from that identification that is not who you are. You are good enough. You know, that's being you and everyone listening to this. You are amazing. You are unique. You are whole. There's, you know, you're here for a purpose and you can't really fulfill that purpose unless you get past this first block, which is fear. And that's why, you know, Yogananda says there's 26 soul qualities that a human must develop in order to reach our fullest potential. And the first one is fearlessness. And that's why chapter two of the book is fearlessness. It's the first soul quality we go into and the practices around unlocking this grip of fear. Because if we don't get past fear, we're not going to get on the path in the first place. If we don't get 
past fear, we're going to be locked into the same patterns and our lives will stay small and limited. So we need to examine, first of all, and be aware that there's a shift to be had here. And then we start to um, go deeper and deeper inside. And then so much energy gets um, unlocked. And then our whole life changes. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to go a little deeper here, specifically on the fear topic, because it's one that I talk about a lot. And I think that there's this idea that the objective is like, we have to remove fear. And I think that the more that you try and avoid it and pretend like it doesn't exist and ignore it, the more it has control over you. And I think the better solution is to actually become friends with it and to name your fears and to get comfortable with them existing in your life and knowing specifically what they are. What's, what's your take? Like, how do we start to unpack the, uh, you know, the, the idea of being controlled by fear? How do we flip the script on that? How do we navigate all of the things, you know, I think just from human nature, there's, there's plenty of things that we can be afraid of. There's plenty of things that can feel like they're kind of that weight around our neck. Like how do we start to process that and overcome those things? Okay. So I have um, three, three tips I'll give here. Number one. Hmm. Okay. So you, you mentioned something really interesting, which is naming the fears. Hmm. And in my language, I would say this is bringing the fears out of the shadows, right? So if we're not aware of what we're really fearful of, then we it has this power over us. It becomes this sh- in the shadow, which Carl Jung would talk about, this disowned part of us or this part that we push down and we don't really acknowledge. So it's important to, and there's exercises in this first chapter that really detailed of leading you through you know, I always suggest meditating first. So, you know, some of the resistance and the thoughts have a chance to settle down a bit and then really going into these practices. It's not just the surface stuff because we can say, oh, I'm scared of getting COVID. And then we go underneath, but what, why, you know, what is it? Is it the fear of dying? Is it the fear of losing out on work? And underneath that, there's like fear of survival. I won't have money. You know, we start to probe deeper and deeper into the feelings that we're fearful of. And so that's the first place is starting to create that real awareness of what it is. And so then it goes deeper and deeper about then sitting with each of these feelings and and starting to to get to, you know, <clears throat> allowing ourselves first to feel them. A lot of the feelings we're scared to feel, we haven't let ourselves feel them. So there's specific practices about metabolizing some of these energies that are already inside of you, extracting them out of the shadows. And then almost like you would digest a piece of food or a piece of, um, you know, a a smoothie or a piece of broccoli or whatever, we start to let the energies out. The second thing is, so I know that sounds a little esoteric, but I'll sum that up. I say, yes, you want to name your fears, but there's more detail to doing that in a really empowering way. The second thing is people are scared of a lot of things, getting sick, getting old, not being enough. And so there's a million things out here. And what this work does is it gives you this inner resource, the true self that is the real source of safety and security. So what does that mean? It means we stop living our entire lives trying to avoid things and control things and manipulate things because let's be honest, a million infinite fear, a million things could come up, right? We can't control everything. But what we can do is work so much on this inner connection, this real foundation, this place of true security and stability so that we become more confident day by day that we can rise up to anything. We can meet anything in that moment with 
calmness, equanimity. We can take right action. We'll have intuition. So we're not so riddled with fear because all this stuff isn't going to just get us. We have our inner strength intact. So then we come to each moment. And the third thing I'll say is that fear cannot happen right here, right now. Fear is anxiety about the future, which is often colored by trauma in the past. So we think about the past and then we're fearful of the future. So we're here and they're there. And then, you know, for me, when I was an insomniac, I would like sit up thinking about all the what ifs that aren't even here. There's all these like un, you know, just unmanifested potentials and we drive ourselves nuts. So what we do when we start to feel fear as we take a pause and we come back, we bring our bodies into this moment. And so what does that mean? It means this moment, do it here with me, Mike, just feel the bottoms of your feet, like energetically, just feel that your feet are grounded right here, right now. And then you can feel your hips, your sits bones sitting on your chair, on your bench, whatever you're sitting on over there. I'm sitting on the couch. <laughs> so you can just feel that and then just put one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly. And then you can feel this physicality, the heart beating, and hopefully, or you do it consciously now, you take a deep breath into your belly and feel the belly rise. So you get out of the head in that moment, whatever that takes for you to do. Again, you strengthen this muscle with these practices and you start to drop into the body. Again, feet, breath, belly, heart rate. And so you focus for a moment, eight to 10 breaths on being here in your body. And again, fear can't live in this present moment. So you come back here and then you open your eyes and you see what's in front of you from this calmer place. And then you can take right action. And you come back to that time and time again until you start really training yourself. I'm going to deal with each moment. I'm going to rise to each moment. And then there isn't so much of this like what if in the future because you're here, here, here. Yeah, that was really cool because I'm, I'm, as you're going through that and I'm doing it along with you. Like in my mind, I am trying to absorb what you're saying and then thinking about, oh, okay, I have another question I want to ask on top of that. And then when you bring me to my feet, my heart, my belly, my breath, I didn't think about anything that I had to say. It was just focused yes. on the exact oh. moment. And it was oh, like, oh, I'm just yes. doing it now. So wait, 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 hold on. Can I do another practice with you? Because yeah, I think this is this is so amazing. So this is this is the experiential, right? This is like, you know, forget it we're here. Don't worry about the questions. Don't worry about what we're going to say. This, this potent presence is where this, this real trust of our energy of the universe, God rising up inside of us, all this potential power inside of us comes the more we learn to get really still, right? So stillness has become a little bit of a buzzword, but people aren't really experiencing stillness. When we start to experience stillness, it starts to expand and expand more in our lives because it's like we're dipping from this water of deep peace and stillness. So then we start to say, oh, and once we get it once, it's like it grows more and more little by little. So that means that you have more stillness in between your thoughts. So when you do speak, your words have more power. So there's more stillness. And then when you write that email, oh, now I know what to say, right? Or you, you just move through life in a different way. So what these ancient teachings teach us is that real stillness, real true stillness happens in the micro gaps 
in between the inhales and the exhales. So in the book, there's this preliminary chapter called Expanding the Gaps. And then I go into three subsequent chapters of really effective meditation where you can learn to not just relax your senses, which is out here, still peripheral, but instead concentrate your energy in your spine and your brain, wake up this ganglion of nerves at the back of the brain around the medulla oblongata, and then your whole experience changes. So let's do this practice about 20 seconds, Mike. Okay, I'm going to show you the expanding the gaps practice. And if anybody's listening to this and they're not driving, you do it while you're driving, but if you're not driving, just close your eyes for a moment. So go ahead, Mike. It's going to be about only 20 seconds or so. I just want you to go back in there and just take a big exhale. And just, again, just feel into your body. And so what we're going to do is super simple. I'm going to do a count of four in and four out. And then we're just going to go into this micro, these micro pauses in between the inhales and the exhales and just feel into that. Okay. So it's super simple. Again, exhale, empty your lungs. Now you're going to inhale for a count of four, two, three, four, and then pause full at the top. Just stay nice and calm. Just hold the breath in. And then exhale. Two, three, four. Pause empty at the bottom. Nice and relaxed. And then again, inhale. Two, three, four. Pause full at the top. And again, exhale, two, three, four, pause empty at the bottom. And one more time, inhale, two, three, four, and then pause full. And then nice and slowly exhale. Two, three, four, pause empty at the bottom. And then inhale normally, letting the breath start to flow in and out. So you'll, you'll see, Mike, that you know, 20 seconds or so when we start to go into this, you know, not going anywhere, not this constant doing, this frantic motion when we can get into these moments and these gaps and this real zero point stillness that's described. And that is the place of this deep, deep inner connection, the deep place. This is where the best stuff is. This is where the peace that we've been looking for is. This is where the good enoughness is. This is where I go beyond the labels. I go beyond you, me into, you know, we're all here. This is all love. We're all connected. This goes into, oh, my best solutions, this creativity, this intuition, this rising up inside of us. This is what's available to all of us. Yeah. So I want to just share my experience with that. So first I noticed with each breath, I became less, it was more natural, I should say. Yes. So the first one I'm trying to like count and do it intentionally and then with each subsequent breath, it felt easier. 
Yes. So imagine doing this five minutes, just five minutes a day, what, what that would do. And then I also noticed that my shoulders were dropping and my mm. body was sinking into my chair. And I was like, oh, that like low level stress that I've been having. Was yes. To go away. Um, you know, I think that we all kind of have that like under the surface, low level stress that hangs out for a while. If we don't address it, it just stays there forever or it escalates. So I start to notice that like, oh, it's going away. Well, imagine, imagine, Mike, what you're feeling this, like your shoulders and those big muscles of yours, like starting to relax a little bit. Imagine that also happening internally with your organs, right? There's this relaxation, the stress hormones can start to relax, this inflammation, the blood, everything just starts to re-regulate in your body. And what does that mean? That means more vitality, means more energy, just your hair can grow back, you know, there's, for me, you know, and, you know, purely physical level, it was interesting, you know, I've had two babies and I don't work out anymore. I, I walk, I used to be into that, but my body just, it, it stays in this way that I, I want it to stay, you know, and I have muscle definition in my stomach and all this stuff. And I, I, people ask me about, well, you must do a million sit-ups and do that stuff. And I say, no, a lot of, you know, this comes, I do believe in energy and I've let go of so much. You know, I think so much accrues, we hold on to more waste and more acids and more toxins and heavy metals and things when the body, like your shoulders are clenched. Imagine this clenching of your colon and your DGI tract and things just holding more and more in the, you know, the hot mammalian body temperature that we are of 98 degrees, right? You can see that biochemical changes are happening. It all is one big loophole feedback system. So, you know, what you're describing is happening on a systemic level. So imagine all the time we spend in the gym and all the time we spend, you know, focusing on our diets and work and stuff, just a percentage of your time, just meditating five or seven minutes, doing these practices and these teachings I describe in the book, just a few minutes sprinkled throughout the day, or you could just do the five minutes in the morning, but how much that will change your energy and your physicality in your life. And I've seen it time and time again, and I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Ah, I'm so excited for everybody to, to implement it as well. Yeah, I'm excited for everybody to get a copy and and start to put it into practice. Um, I, I did want to ask because you have your four pillars. Yes. And I'm curious because you mentioned bringing ourselves more into balance. And I think that's an interesting word. Do you believe that there are times that one pillar should be more of the focal point and the other pillar should be like the minimum effective dose? Or are we trying to achieve like this perfect balance across all the pillars? Oh, no. So- you know, I use that word sparingly, balance. So what I mean by that is there's this, uh, you know, you, you want to spend time on the outside, you want to spend time on the inside. But sometimes, Mike, I, I think of the word balance, it's almost like being on this, you know, tightrope or something. Like I get this image in my head. And so if you're not perfect, you fall off. And I, I just don't like that. So instead of balance, I think about this word, I've already used it, but flow. Right. So it's we're more in tune with where our energy needs to be directed in that moment. And if it is always going to shift. So for me, you know, a couple of years ago, food was a really big focus and I had to figure out things. I had to figure out how to eat and get rid of my bloat and all that stuff. But then it was like, oh, now I need to spend more time. Oh, I you know, opened up this whole thing here. You know, journaling is really important to me and introspection and the emotional part. So it's never the same where we are day to day. It's flowing. It's seeing like, oh, today my body really needs some self-care. I need to work out or I need to rest or I need to go to bed early, whatever. So it's more of this discernment 
that comes when we connect more to that true self and to our intuition about how to best care for ourselves. It's very different than any other human on the planet and different again, day to day. Yeah. Yeah. It's super important to understand that. And I think that the way that you describe it, it makes perfect sense because sometimes we're going to need to direct our energy in one area of our life more than others. Um, and, and I kind of look at it like if you're and, you know, just dealing with a lot of type A personalities, you know, when they're thinking that they need to spend all of their time on their nutrition, but also spending all of their time in their career and all of their time with their family. And they're pushing the limits of like that, that maximum amount that they can handle for any one pillar of their life. And they're trying to do it with all of their, you know, all the things that are important to them. And then nothing really gets done well. I think that, yeah. this, you know, kind of the flow that you talk about between uh, where do you need to put your energy at that point, um, which is, that, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So that that being said, um, Mike, I, I do, I'm a big believer in creating a morning practice that does touch on all of the cornerstones. So for me, my morning routine and the one I teach is that you start the day with hot water with lemon, which is an Ayurvedic practice. It's about putting heat Agni in the body. So it stokes that digestive fire. And of course there's vitamin C and specific enzymes in lemon that help to repair your liver tissue. So it's, you know, the physicality of food um, or sorry, hot water with lemon. Then I take uh, our Saluna, which is my lifestyle brand, our SBO probiotics, which are clinically researched and they come from the soil and they get through the stomach acid. So gut health is really important, right? So now we're touching the body cornerstone. I'm also a big smoothie drinker. So I'll have the glowing green smoothie in the morning first. I usually have a protein smoothie later. And then I meditate, right? So to me, you know, whether you do it first thing in the morning or you do it half an hour later or whatever, this to me is an essential part of the morning practice. No matter what, I've got two babies I run a business. I've got a podcast too. I've got books. I've got a lot going on. I do not skip my morning meditation, Mike. And the reason I don't is experiential. I know the difference between the days where I meditate and the days that I don't, right? So I don't, I know, I know what my energy is when I do meditate. So I'm touching on that spiritual cornerstone. And then afterwards, the potent space after meditation is usually when I take a few minutes to journal, just to process anything I need to let go of, I bring it back to gratitude. Now, there's journaling prompts in the book as well, but just this going in and cleaning up and again, metabolizing any of this energy to let go of is all part of moving forward into the day with the highest potential energy. So again, it's true. We flow. Some cornerstones need more um, attention than others, but I do think it's great to start to create a morning routine where you're touching on this holistic self-care, this real wellness of all of them. And, and do you, I'm curious if you meditate with an open-ended time where some days it can be 20 minutes, some days it could be five minutes, some days it could be an hour, or if you set uh, kind of a routine for yourself where you know you're getting, you know, you have this amount of time dedicated towards meditation. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is if you ask my husband, he, he says to people sometimes, he says, I share my wife with God. Because what he means by that is any spare moment I have, you know, I just love going in there. I really love it. And we just got back from Hawaii. We go back and forth between um, our home here. And then we bought a farm in Hawaii last summer. And so we just got back from three weeks. And there's this part of the land that's this forest. And so in the morning when uh, the baby's uh, napping, and then this is my time where, you know, John will take Emerson, our older son, our five-year-old, and I'll meditate for two hours in the morning because I have that space there. Now, day to day, I'm really busy. 
Um, but I will say my assistant, like the way my schedule is, I need that at least half hour in the morning, you know, so that's part of my practice. And then the night meditation fluctuates a little bit with the family, what's going on. And I'm not rigid about it. And I, you know, anybody listening to this, like saying, oh shit, but it's half an hour. It doesn't have to, you know, be that. Like I said, the meditations I put out every week, the practical enlightenment meditations are about seven minutes. So I've found that five minutes or seven minutes is the minimum, about the minimum where you can really go in and connect and make a difference. So if you start there and you're consistent, consistency, getting on the path is what's important. As long as you're consistent with your five minutes every day, you will see a difference. And then you can start to expand the practice as you experience the benefits. I love that. Um, I know we're pressed up against time here. So um, I want to give you a chance to let everyone know where they can get their copy of the book. Um, but one last question would be sure. for anybody who does grab a copy, which I highly recommend everyone does, what would be what would you say uh, would be the expectation for somebody who starts to jump into these practices, who reads the book? Like, what What is the expectation for the reader? So I think that the reader will understand themselves in a very different way than they ever have before. And one thing I can almost guarantee is if you read this book, you will feel more peace in your life. And remember that peace is one of the most important qualities as is taught to us from ancient India. This peace means um, great action. Peace means you are a creator. You manifest more and more of what you want in your life. It's from this place of peace that we um, are our most powerful. So peace also gives us this experience of really enjoying life, but it means we are able to create on the level that I don't think you ever have before. <laughs> you know, it's very powerful when you go into that that peace and that deep, deep inner connection. And again, it's available to all of us. And I'm very happy to say, Mike, all these practices, these teachings, you don't need anything other than yourself. And this $20 book, you know, we're not selling all these, you know, biohacking mats and all this expensive stuff, which can be great too, but this is really working with your own energy. And, you know, nothing is more powerful than that. Yeah. I love that. It's funny you say that. I just watched a YouTube video of, uh, uh, Naval Ravikant, who gave his breakdown of how to make better decisions. And one of his uh, pillars was to make the decision that brings you the most inner peace. Uh, so mm-hmm. right on target there. Um, so the book is You Are More Than You Think You Are, Practical Enlightenment for Everyday Life. Where can everybody grab their copy? Yes. So this is launch week. So exciting. You can get your copy anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Um, you can also check out more information on me on my website, mysaluna.com, which is S-O-L-L-U-N-A.com. It means the sun and the moon. And, you know, we have supplements, programs, uh, meditations, and our Feel Good podcast as well. Amazing. And then where can everybody stay connected with you? Where do you hang out the most? So you'll find me on Instagram at underscore Kimberly Snyder is, you know, the, the, probably the most accessible daily place as well. Perfect. Well, I will post all of that in the show notes so everybody can go pick up their copy, can follow Kimberly and stay up to date on all the amazing things that you're doing. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it so much. And I really enjoyed spending time with you as well. All right. We'll talk soon. 